The story you were about to hear is true. Attention, all true. She's alive. After I graduated from elementary school, which went until the sixth grade, I went straight into high school. I didn't jump any grades. Our high school just started at seventh grade. It was a slightly unusual setup, but it had its perks. Everything that your normal high school might have was available as soon as you were in the seventh grade. And to me, the most exciting thing that was part of that was the computer club. It was one of the first clubs that I joined, and probably one of the more memorable aspects of my early time in high school. Basically, when we got together, we were mostly there to play video games. But we also had presentations from more senior members of the club, and we would learn basic. During that time, I bonded with people I had never met before over computers, something that I really loved. And one of my favorite memories from that year is playing a clone of Hunt the Wumpus that a fellow computer club member had written. Now, I had played Hunt the Wumpus before I had written it out myself and played it, but what was really cool about this version of it that I was playing in the club is that it had been refined over the years, and there were lots of extra elements that were added to it. So, I just wasn't trying to complete a game I had already completed. It was a whole new experience, and it had a lot of humor that would maybe only be understandable if you were in my school. I really wish that I had a copy of that version of Hunt the Wumpus. And if I could remember details, maybe I could try to rewrite it. But I don't really need to. The memory of it, the bonding I did with my fellow computer club members, is much more valuable than the game itself. It left me with a very positive impression of the game Hunt the Wumpus, which is why I've decided to cover that in today's episode. We'll talk about the person behind the game, Gregory Yob. We'll talk about the evolution of the game, its design, the origin of the name, where it's been ported, its gameplay, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. the Wumpus is a very early computer game. Basically, it's a maze of sorts where you are hunting a mysterious creature called the Wumpus, which lurks in a network of caves. It was originally written as a text game in BASIC, and we'll talk a little bit about how the original game was played later. But first, to give you an idea of what the game is all about in a much more evocative way, I'd like to read to you from the TI-99 4A manual for maybe the most memorable port of the game. Deep within a cave of caverns and twisting tunnels lives a creature known as the Wumpus. 
protected by giant bats and pits of slime. The Wumpus feeds on unwary visitors to its cavern. You are the daring hunter who tracks the Wumpus to its lair. Armed with a single arrow, you explore the maze of caverns, searching for clues to tell you where the Wumpus is hiding. Once you think you've found the Wumpus, you fire your arrow into its cavern. But be careful. If you choose the wrong cavern, you will be the next victim of the Wumpus. That's good stuff. That concept of the Wumpus came from the fertile mind of Gregory Yob. Yob was born in 1945, passed away in 2005 at the age of 60. He's probably best known as the creator of the computer game Hunt the Wumpus, although he was a futurist who was very interested in a lot of different creative concepts. Hunt the Wumpus was published in 1975 and was written while Yob was attending the University of Massachusetts. Games like Hunt the Wumpus had existed, but not with the level of complexity that Yob would bring to it. According to Yob, Two years ago, I happened by People's Computer Company, PCC, and saw some of their computer games, such as Herkel, Snark, and Mugwump. My reaction was, Eek! Each of these games was based on a 10x10 grid in Cartesian coordinates, and three of them was too much for me. I started to think along the lines of, There has to be a hide-and-seek computer game without that bleepin' grid. In fact, why not a topological computer game? Imagine a set of points connected in some way, and the player moves about the set via the interconnections. That shape was the dodecahedron. Yob would go home and begin thinking about this concept and write it in BASIC in only 50 lines of code. That source code is online, freely findable by you, and you can go in there and edit it. He quickly wrote Wumpus and then dropped it off at PCC. He then went home and started thinking of sequels. How could he make it better? And he would. He would create sequels to hunt the Wumpus. Wumpus 2, Wumpus 3. After having dropped it off, Yob said, Around a month later, I went to the Synergy Conference at Stanford, where many of the far-out folk were gathered to share their visions of improving the world. PCC had a few terminals running in a conference room, and I dropped by. To my vast surprise, all of the terminals were running Wumpus, and scraps of paper on the floor with scrawled numbers and lines testified that much dedicated Wumpus hunting was in progress. I had spawned a hit computer game. And he had. From that small bit of code, not only would sequels and ports be spawned, but everyone who played it believed that they could make a better version, and we would get tons of maze and puzzle games based on Hunt the Wumpus throughout the 70s, 80s, and even today. One of the more interesting choices that Yob made was to not put this on a standard grid. Instead, he chose a dodecahedron, which is a three-dimensional shape that has 12 plane faces. According to Yob, The grid I chose was the vertices of a dodecahedron, simply because it's my favorite platonic solid, and once, ages ago, I made a kite shaped like one. The edges became the connecting tunnels between the caves, which were the set points for the game. I don't know if I have a favorite platonic solid, but after reading Yob's write-ups about it, I really think I should have a favorite platonic solid. It's something I gotta think about. Now we know that the maze style was innovative for its time, but where did the word wumpus come from? It seems that meditation and mindfulness and creativity were very important to Yob. Seems like a very interesting guy. He actually went into meditation, which seemed to be something 
that he normally did, and during one of these afternoon meditations, the phrase hunt the wumpus just arrived to him. There was never a lot of detail about what a wumpus looks like, but that kind of helps. When you have a text adventure, you're allowed to fill in lots of things with your imagination. There would be representations of the wumpus in visual ports of the game, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. We'll return after these messages. He's only three, and already he's reaching out, seeking, and looking to you to point the way. Now is when a Texas Instruments home computer can give him a real head start. With more educational cartridges than any other computer, they challenge, encourage, make learning fun. The home computer from Texas Instruments. Don't put it off. And now, back to the show. I want to talk a little bit about the People's Computer Company, PCC. It was an organization and a newsletter that was founded and produced by Bob Albrecht, George Firedrake, and Dennis Allison in Menlo Park, California during the early 70s. Its first newsletter was published in October of 72, and here is how they introduced themselves. Computers are mostly used against people instead of for people. Used to control people instead of free them. Time to change all that. We need a people's computer company. One of the great things about PCC is that they embraced Tiny Basic, and as everyone who grew up in the personal computing age will attest to, Basic is a big part of the early stages of learning to use a computer, at least back then. If you are familiar with Dr. Dobbs's journal, which was published up until 2009, it got its start at the People's Computer Company. PCC would try to get computers in the hands of everyone. These were not meant for business or clean rooms. They would take them to schools, community centers, anywhere they could expose people to computers. And this was early on. We're talking the 70s. So a lot of the formative years of people who would work in computers in Silicon Valley around Menlo Park probably were touched by these early computer pioneers. And as the original distributor of Hunt the Wumpus, they're a key reason that it spread like wildfire. They knew so many people in this still forming community. If you're interested in PCC publications, Stanford has a large online archive of their publications. Just go to Google and search for People's Computer Company Stanford and you'll see it. The original version of Hunt the Wumpus is completely text-based, like Zork. You would type in commands, get little clues as to what was going on. You move from room to room, and in a room you might learn a little bit of information about what's in the adjoining rooms. You have this one crooked arrow that you take with you, and as you move through the 20 rooms, your goal is to kill the Wumpus. And that's not easy, because there are hazards. There are bottomless pits, which kill you. There are super bats which will drop you in a random location. That sort of teleportation would be copied in many, many future games. The Wumpus could move around and pass through anything. According to its description, it had these feet that had suction cups on it, so it would never fall into the bottomless pits. And it was also too heavy for the super bats to lift and transport. So it was on its own. It did its thing. If you fire the arrow and hit the Wumpus, you can kill it. But if you fire into the wrong chamber, you can startle it, and it'll move into an adjacent room. You lose if you are in the same room as the Wumpus. 
which means it eats you, or if you fall into a bottomless pit. As I said, you can find the original code for Hunt the Wumpus online. You'll see it's very simple, but brilliant in its simplicity. In the code, you'll see the Wumpus, you'll see Super Bats, you'll see Pits, and there are two Super Bats and two Pits in each maze. You'll see that there are only two possible actions. Move to one of three rooms that is connected to yours. Shoot your arrow, which could fire a distance of one to five rooms. And then there were warning messages that you would learn what was nearby in adjacent rooms based on what you saw. And those were for the wumpus, you smell the wumpus. Bats, they tell you there are bats nearby. And if there's a pit, you feel a draft. Like many text adventure games, it is very helpful to map this out as you play it. Makes the game much more enjoyable and actually a lot easier unless you are brilliant and can keep everything in your head all at once. I am not that person. Plus, I love graph paper. We'll return after these messages. Someday, you will have a sophisticated computer system like this to teach you music. To take care of household accounts. File your lists. Type your letters. Put you into telecommunications. Entertain you. But to begin with, you want the Commodore VIC-20. Then, as you grow with VIC, VIC grows with you. The Commodore VIC-20. Now when you buy a VIC-20, we'll add a VIC bonus pack. Games, joystick, and dust cover. Retail value up to $140. And now, back to the show. This game has been ported everywhere. It is simple, it is written in a language people can understand and easily distribute. In fact, people are still building versions of Hunt the Wumpus, putting it into browsers and operating systems, even mobile apps. The game was ported to most early systems, sometimes under different names, from early Unix to the Commodore PET to Univac. They all had some version of Hunt the Wumpus. Perhaps the most famous version is the 1980 port of the game for the TI-99-4A computer by Texas Instruments. It is different from the original while still having the same concept. Instead of a text-based game, you have a graphical interface, and it uses a regular grid rather than the dodecahedron. What's even more interesting is that the Wumpus is depicted in the game. So you get an idea of what the Wumpus actually looks like. It is a giant red head with a pair of legs growing out of its side, I guess with suction cups on them. I don't know if that's canon, but it's pretty great looking. The art on one of the variants of the manuals is even better because it has an image of the Wumpus in a cave. It's this creepy tooth-filled face in shadow. And it's the art that I use for the actual retroist post about this podcast. So if you want to check it out, head to the website. It's really great. If you are a enthusiast for early computing systems, you might want to look at the TI-99-4A. Also check out Hunt the Wumpus for it. It's still a pretty affordable system with decently affordable games for it. And it's also soon to be a retroist podcast. Promotion. The game had sequels. Yob would later develop Wumpus 2 and Wumpus 3. They offered more hazards and more cave layouts. And just as there are ports of Hunt the Wumpus 1, there are also ports of Wumpus 2 and 3 floating around. Hunt the Wumpus, as I said, has been ported to modern platforms. The design of the game has been borrowed by other games. I brought up Hunt the Wumpus to someone of a younger generation, and I was surprised they knew the word. 
but they knew the word in a different context. There have been several Wumpus cards in Magic the Gathering. So I was surprised to learn that as a non-Magic the Gathering player, and they were surprised to learn that the Wumpus existed before Magic the Gathering. So look at that. Generations coming together. My experience with Hunt the Wumpus really peaked in 7th grade, playing a homemade version of it that mentioned things from our school, monsters that were named after our vice principal. It has stuck with me ever since. It's a simple game, but it's still very playable. Before I recorded this, I sat down to play a lot of the online browser versions. Most of them use a grid system, and you can actually see how the grid fills in as you move around. And they're just as fun as I remember the earlier text version being. It's a playable game, and when it has a visual representation, it's pretty easy to win. But that makes it rewarding, because sometimes it's not about strategy. It's about keeping focused, and in that way that Minesweeper is, learning to pay attention to the clues that surround you. So if you've never played Hunt the Wumpus, why don't you jump online and check it out? There are lots of different versions. Maybe that'll inspire you to write your own version. The source code's out there. There's lots of ways to interpret BASIC online. No matter what, you will learn something and have a great time. So thanks to Gregory Yob for creating an amazing game that in 50 lines of code has created years of great memories. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. If you hear music on the show, you're hearing music by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. If you have a moment, please stop by wherever you downloaded this podcast and give it a review. If the place you downloaded from doesn't have the ability to review, stop whatever you're doing. Go to the nearest window, open it up, and just start shouting a review out into the street. From what I understand, all reviews help. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the... This has been a retro production. Goodbye.